Hello and welcome to Marketing to Complex Industries, presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. Each week, we feature conversations about the latest challenges, strategies, and technologies for B2B marketers. It goes without saying that one of the greatest tools in the advertiser's toolkit is the use of humor to get a key message across. And that's also one of the most challenging aspects of business to business marketing. How do we use such a powerful tool like humor in what is frequently a very serious um, and sometimes a very clinical sort of enterprise? Well, today our guest on the podcast is Janelle Bakey. She's a senior copywriter at Godfrey, and she has done some extensive research about humor and is here to talk with us about how to use it effectively and efficiently in the course of doing B2B marketing. This is a fun one. You're not going to want to miss it. Janelle, welcome to the podcast. It's really good to have you here today. Hi, Scott. Thanks. So you recently wrote this blog post about humor in B2B, and I think that we should definitely start with establishing what drove you to do that. What what makes uh, humor in B2B marketing something important that you wanted to do more research on? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's a misconception in B2B marketing in particular that our our content has to be kind of stuffy and and not too much fun. And so I just wanted to challenge that idea and look around and see, you know, what does the research say and and what can we do to make B2B content a little bit more engaging? And I think one reason or one way to do that is to incorporate humor. What do you think the 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 reticence or the hesitation typically is for people? I mean, is it is it because of the subject matter that we're talking about, or is it because of the types of audiences, which typically could maybe be a little bit more engineering focused or a little bit more discriminating? Um, what do you think the reason is that we that we don't that we don't naturally engage in more humorous stuff? Sure, I think it often is an audience thing. You know, I think engineers are. I, I did a. a blog, well, a vlog for Godfrey a couple of years ago on, you know, the mind of an engineer. And I think there's a big misconception that engineers aren't people, <laughs> um, but obviously they're people, they're human, just like we are. And most humans have some kind of sense of humor. So I think just throwing that misconception out and just thinking human to human, you know, how can we engage someone? I, I think, I think that's where the hesitancy comes in. And when we can do that and make that leap and say, okay, we're humans marketing to humans. Um, that's where you can start to bring in that humor. I think that makes sense. And I, I think uh, actually in some ways it's almost a show of respect because we're kind of amazed at what engineers have to work with, what they're able to accomplish, uh, what they what they know and how their minds operate uh, that we don't automatically think humor would be the right avenue. Right. Well, and as a writer, it's kind of a challenge, right? To say, you know, these are really intelligent people. And how do I craft something that's not only going to connect with them and their intelligence, but also make them maybe smile or laugh? You know, it's it's really a challenge, I think, for marketers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Was it, was it difficult to find good examples? Like, uh, we'll get into some of them, but um, was it difficult to find good examples of humor in B2B marketing? 
You know, I definitely had to dig around a little bit, but I, I think one thing that came up for me as I was doing this was I found that the lines were so blurred, right? So like the first thing I had to do was take a step back and say, okay, well, what exactly is B2B? Like who is considered a B2B company versus who is not? And how are we defining those two things? And is there really a difference in how we're marketing B2C versus B2B? I think that there are some differences, but um, you know, that I had to take a step back and think about it from that perspective. And then once I thought, okay, maybe I'm looking for technology companies, or maybe I'm looking for equipment companies. Um, once I narrowed in on some of those things, I was able to find examples a little bit more successfully. Right. Yeah. I know when we were talking about it earlier, um, one of the examples was the EDS ad with the cat herders uh, from right. the, the Super Bowl, And it's hard to believe it's been like 20 years. Um, that one, I, I don't think made it into your blog post, but it, it stood for me as a really good example because it was so intrinsically likable. Did you happen to do any research on the history of that ad or, or how it came about? Um, I did take a look at it and, you know, I watched it 20 years ago. I would not have been old enough, I don't think, to remember it. Um, but I, I'm sure that you've done some research. It sounds like, you know, you have an idea of kind of where it came from. A, a little bit. Well, I, I think the important thing was that at the time, almost nobody who saw the ad knew who it was about. But it was so entertaining, we were all talking about it. And so it got it got the name EDS out there uh, much more. And honestly, I, I don't know a whole lot about about exactly where where they came from with it. Um, I do know that they were trying to reach a very small number of people and they had a very big budget and just took the leap thinking that, well, the Super Bowl is when everybody's going to be watching TV. So we'll get our, our you know, 25 people. Uh, we'll have a captive audience for, you know, the. 30 seconds or a minute of airtime that we're going to buy for this. Um, but it, it worked beautifully as a short film. They basically took, took an example of a, uh, an expression like herding cats and actually showed what that might look like. Um, which was, was absolutely hilarious to me at the time, even though they weren't trying to sell me anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's well established that humor helps to get people's attention um, it helps to to break down, uh, you know, resistance, and it sort of helps to to engage them at an emotional level. Um, what are what are the the specific reasons that you found that humor works well in advertising, whether it be B two B or or otherwise? Sure, I mean, I I did a lot of research on that, and it really came down to three key things, I would say, and. The first thing is that humor really increases reach. So there have been different studies done on this, but um, and this is looking primarily at like social media and platforms like that where people are sharing content. And they found that one of the main reasons people were sharing content or they were, you know, they wanted to share the content was they wanted to bring value or entertain other people. Right. They thought it was something that would make people laugh or they thought it was something their followers would find interesting. So how can we make something that's valuable and entertaining? And if you can find the sweet spot, you know, right between those two things, that's where humor really works to increase reach. Um, so I said there were three. That was the first one. Um, the second one is that humor encourages engagement. So 
engagement goals that, you know, that can be defined differently depending on what, you know, whether we're talking about email or social or various different channels that, that people use. But um, it really just means your audience taking the action you want them to take, right? So that might be sharing, it might be browsing and buying something, it might be all these different things. But the, before you can get them to take that action, you really have to capture their attention, like you were saying. So you can use humor to really get that strong emotional response you need that will compel somebody to do something. Um, so then the third point I would just say is that humor really can turn customers into fans. You know, I think about personally the brands that I follow on social media or brands that I like to hear from in my inbox. And it's it's people who entertain me to some degree. It might not always be laugh out loud funny, um, but it's someone who says something that really connects with me. And I'm like, oh yeah, these people get me, you know, and uh, that really makes me less of a customer and more of you know, I'm a huge fan of this brand. So. Right. So in, uh, in social media parlance, like you could, you could look at something that you find funny and the caption could be simply, if you know, you know, right. Because I think exactly. it makes us feel, it makes us feel seen. Uh, we, we like to feel known. We like to feel that, uh, that there's, that, that there's a, a tribe that we're a part of, uh, or that there's that, there's that sense of, um, of belonging, with uh, with maybe a subculture where, where where people get us, right? Exactly, you know. And I think that humor is such a big part of that. I mean, I mentioned the, um, you know, your B two B audience. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> if if mm-hmm. you can show like, hey, we get you. That's that's really key. So so those three items. Uh, it increases reach and encourages engagement, and it turns customers into fans. I I like how you you kind of have those bracketed because uh, it really is about actually uh, you know getting to a broad number of people, actually uh, you know connecting and engaging with those people, and then getting them to not only take some kind of an action, but to really buy into to who you are as an individual or as a, as a company. I mean, turning customers into fans is no small feat. Um, but right. when people feel known, they're going to be much more likely to, to sort of keep coming back, I guess. Right. And, you know, I, I like to think about it if you're putting it kind of in real life terms, right? I like to use the example of being at a party and you meet a couple different people while you're there and you have one person who's just talking about the weather. You have somebody who's complaining about something. And then you have somebody else who kind of tells you a story, right? And they make you laugh. And I just think about it in that context. And it's like, which person would you feel most connected to? Probably the person who made you laugh, right? So humor is something that really creates that human connection and can lead to a brand to human friendship, if you want to look at it like that. Yeah, yeah, because uh, there's a, a shared knowledge, a shared experience, and you're on the path to seriously building trust at that point. Exactly. Yeah, I really like that. So you had you had some examples, uh, you know that that you share in this blog post as well, and I I don't want to I don't want to risk like uh, you know going into to explain all of them because when you explain why something's funny, it kind of kills the humor. Um, right. <laughs> but I, I know there's, there's one, it's a, it's a Zendesk example where uh, a girl uh, or a young woman calls her family 
and gets uh, essentially the, the standard customer service treatment, which is almost infuriating to watch. <laughs> it is. Right. Yeah. It's just she's going through, you know, that endless loop of you're on hold, you give your account number, you get transferred, you give your account number again, and you just, you know, you you get into that really terrible loop that we've all been been in uh, before. So I think the juxtaposition of of those things where we we look at how uh, how dehumanizing and and defamiliarizing the whole thing is, uh, you know, when you're working with a a corporation or like a customer service rep, um, by applying that to a more intimate relationship, like a family relationship, it it really that juxtaposition, which we find humorous, also goes to show you're missing an opportunity to just make people feel human. Right. And, and when you're engaging with a brand like that, um, particularly their customer service, if you're calling them, a lot of the time you're already going to have a relationship with them. I mean, it, you might be calling them out of the blue for something, but generally you already have a relationship. So it's, I think they did a really, it was really smart for them to focus on a girl calling her parents because who, you know, who do you have a relationship if not with if not your parents so when she calls her parents she's expecting okay these people know who I am obviously and they don't and we run into that same thing with brands where it's like I've been buying from them for years or I've been working with them I was on the phone with a sales rep last week you know they know who I am and then you call in and you get this really cold customer service experience so again it goes back to being human it goes back to you know everybody wants to feel like you know them and that you're all part of this same, you know, brand, I guess, fandom <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. So if we dig into how to actually do humor in advertising, I almost feel like it's a little awkward to start dissecting that because I, I remember years ago, um, hearing Drew Carey talk about how he got his start in stand-up comedy. Um, and he just went to the library and got a book on how to write <laughs> jokes. And that always sounded a little crazy to me because jokes feel magical and organic. Uh, humor feels like this mysterious, like spirit animal kind of thing. It doesn't feel like something where, Oh, I could take a course in joke writing and I'll just get funny. Um, so I never, I never found out what book that was. I'm fascinated by that. Uh, but you were actually able to break down some, some pieces to this in, in terms of how to apply humor to B2B creative. And I, I was surprised to see that you did that. I'd love to hear you sure, talk about Yeah. That. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's, it's kind of difficult to just be funny, right? I don't think that there are too many people in the world who just, who would describe themselves as funny but they obviously make someone laugh probably, right, at some point. So, but what is important to remember is that humor, like anything, is a skill that can be learned, it can be practiced. Um, and so that's that's really what I got into in the blog post. Uh, I identified three different humor devices. You can see rule of threes, right? I gave you um, three ways that humor uh, helps. So three humor devices seem to fit. So the first one that I wanted to talk about is incongruity. And so just to preface all of these with the fact that you've seen these 
Um, and I think if you start, if you know what these devices are, you're going to start to see them everywhere. So I think that's, that's important to remember. But incongruity and humor really means doing something unexpected under normal circumstances. So we were talking about the Zendesk video earlier, and it was this girl who was being routed through all of these ridiculous customer service protocols um, just to talk to her parents. So they, they looked at something and they said, okay, what is it normally like to call your parents? Usually they pick up the phone, they're so excited to talk to you, and you probably can't even get them off the phone. So what if we flipped the script on that and, and treated um, you know, the girl who was calling in like a customer is often treated in the world of brands? And let's just see where that gets us. And I think that, that that's a really interesting idea. So you know, I, I would advocate for brainstorming ways to take your audience by surprise. Like that's really what incongruity is about. Um, it's capturing attention because they're watching something and they're say or listening to something and saying, "Oh, I know where this is going," and then it goes in a completely different direction. So that's that's really the essence of incongruity as a humor device. Yeah, I had always heard that the unexpected uh, naturally can be funny, uh, but incongruity really sounds like a much, perhaps a much more clinical, but I think a, a more uh, a more exact word. Right. It sounds scary, but it's not. <laughs> sounds like like math or something. <laughs> but uh, it's marketing, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What what other devices are there for for applying humor in in a really deliberate manner? So another device that people will sometimes use is association. And this is something that as marketers, I think we use all the time, even without really realizing we're doing it. And it's the process of connecting two different ideas. And that might be done in language. It might be done in visuals, or it might be done by pairing a specific headline with a visual that maybe they don't quite go together, right? Um, so this one's about being clever. Like, you know, a lot of times marketers are working on something and it's like, how can we be more clever? Um, I think association is where that, that clever idea comes in. Um, I saw a lot of different examples of this as I was digging around. Surprisingly, a lot of them were print ads. Like I feel like older print ads did this really well by just showing you one thing and then saying something else. Um, I'm trying to think. I think there was maybe a BW example that said like lemon <laughs> or something oh, sure. like that, where I think that's a pretty famous example, but it's, it's really where you're seeing something and you're like, wait, those two don't fit. And that captures your attention. And now all of a sudden you're invested in this ad and you're reading it. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, at the, at the time, I mean, for a car maker to say that, that their own product was poor, or a failure in any way um, was really not something you would expect to see. And and at the time we were coming out of a, a period in advertising where everything was sleek and bright and positive and just made these, these bold claims. Um, this had that, that sense of, of humor about it, which eventually pointed to the fact that there's a problem with the headline in this car. We're not even going to, we're not going to send it to the lot. Nobody's going to buy this. Uh, we're going to take it and fix it because to us, it's a lemon. 
And, right. and so, it, yeah, it ends up coming off really smart. And I think that there's a really key uh, correlation between intelligence and humor, because especially when you're when you're working with association like that, it's almost like a puzzle. And when you work right. the puzzle, you feel smart. Exactly. It's, it's your brain really putting those two pieces together. It's, it's, you're really what you're delivering with association is that aha moment, right? That people are looking at something and they're like, I don't really, oh, I get it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that moment. And if you do it right, if you, the, the key though is shortening the time frame it takes for them to get it. It can't be immediate, but it also can't take so long that you lose them. So there's, there's really that really sweet time period in there, I would say that you want them to be able to get it um, and enjoy the joke. I, I do think you're right that you see this a lot with print ads. And I think that there's been a revolution of it over the last 20 years or so because of what, uh, well, because of two things. One would be uh, the advancements in special effects through Photoshop. Um, but also the ability to do very photorealistic uh, computer graphics. There's some 3D modeling uh, going on, which allows some super crazy things to happen in a really believable, really real way. Um, the example that you give is is an elephant that apparently uh, it it looks to be on roller skates, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the blog, the example I used was actually for a heavy duty caster brand. Um, and they made these casters that are supposed to be, you know, like the highest capacity casters out there. Um, and so what they did is basically put an elephant on their casters and that was the ad. And when you first look at it, like you said, it looks like it's an elephant on roller skates and you're like, what am I looking at? Um, but then if you look a little closer, you see, you know, heavy duty casters can move. I forget what the, the ton, you know, number even was, but it was a ridiculous amount of weight, more than an elephant even weighs. But the key there, the reason it worked so well is that everybody knows an elephant is heavy. I, you know, I think whether you're two years old or you're, you know, however old you are, you know what an elephant is and how heavy it is. And so if an elephant unmistakably represents something heavy, and then you pair it with casters that most people in their space anyway are going to say, okay, these are wheels, right? Um, they're going to help me move something. Then you're just pairing that idea, something that is known to be heavy with a product that is known what it does. And then you put it together and there's your association and people get it immediately. Yeah. I, I think one of the interesting things there for me and, and sort of going back to the B2B audience, uh, the fact that, that people are, um, I won't say skeptical, uh, maybe, maybe skeptical in a healthy way. Um, but if I look at, if I look at an ad, if I'm, if I'm an industrial engineer or I'm somebody who's actually considering buying casters and I look at an ad with an elephant on casters, the first thing that I'm going to want to do is go look up the average weight of an elephant and see if you're <laughs> making a claim that you could really keep, uh, is it, is it realistic even though it's absurd? And, right. and I, th do you, do you feel like there's a, a greater pressure on B2B to be accurate in that stuff? That is a great point. I, I think you're right. You know, with, with the products that we're marketing in B2B, a lot of times they're very technical and 
not only are the people looking at the ads technical, like technically minded, but the products themselves are doing something that's, you know, usually very crucial to the business that they're going to eventually go to. So I think there is a lot of sensitivity around being accurate um, or somehow disclaiming the message. You know, sometimes we run into that too, but um, people really want things to be accurate in B2B. And sometimes, sometimes I think it's worth, you know, pushing outside of your comfort zone and thinking, you know, how can we get this done while still appeasing that need for accuracy? And other times, you know, you kind of have to temper that. So it's, it's really what your company is comfortable with and what you can devise. I think that's an advertising and creative challenge. And, and speaking from my years and, and coming up with, with creative ideas and, and doing creative concepting, I'm, I, I could see that at work at different times. There are times where that kind of restriction actually helps you be more creative. Um, we had a, a client one time who was, they were advertising a new door they had that was the biggest door on the market. It was for airplane hangers and, uh, you know, just really, really large industrial areas that you had to move giant machinery or a lot of product through. And I remember saying, what if all we did was had some kind of a little surprise where every time that door opened, you would see something different that was huge. But the whole point is this could fit through that door. And right. in the, in the room, we started talking more and more about like, Oh, look up, look up how long the Titanic was. Like how tall was the Tyrannosaurus Rex? Like we started looking at all these big things and, and it did two things for us. One, it got us in touch with how huge this door really was. Uh, but the other was we just were so entertained by it and realized that we, ha- we were onto an idea that had a lot of potential, um, but was still uh, something where we were going to be able to, to be accurate uh, and actually make promises that, you know, if you needed to wheel a Tyrannosaurus skeleton through this door, <laughs> you could, um, you know, and, and so those are the days that you remember in this business, you know, the days that you spend doing those things that, uh, that just entertain you while you're getting to do your job. Absolutely. And something else that, you know, I take from that story and I've definitely experienced it too, is that as a B2B marketer, you're always learning something, you know, it might be how big is a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton, or it might be about the products you're marketing, but those sorts of creative challenges, like you were saying, they really push you to make yourself, you know, more intelligent and more worldly and more whatever, because you're, you're trying to learn as much as you can and say like, okay, well, how could we make this work? And it's just, it's a field where you're learning all the time. And I think that that's something really special about B2B that isn't always, you know, focused on as much as it could be. That's one of the things that we've talked about in, uh, in some of our speaking engagements and that kind of thing. Um, nobody, nobody that I know of who's in B2B marketing ever went into college at 18 or, you know, maybe by the time they were 19 or 20, they never really said, Oh, I'm studying marketing. I'm going to go work in B2B. Like nobody ever says that. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's something that we all discover that there's this like hidden market of very fascinating products that need, um, sparkling and interesting, uh, copy and imagery to explain what their differential is and what their, what their selling point is. 
Um, and it, it is kind of an amazing challenge, but I, that's the part of it that I love is, is I'm always learning just weird stuff. Um, it, so it, yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's that same part of your brain that enjoys trivia games. I think, um, you know, just that lifelong learning sort of aspect of it. Yep, exactly. Now the third device for humor you claim in your blog is the broadest of the devices that you're covering. Um, talk to me about that one. What's number three? Yeah. So the last humor device that I talk about in the blog is observation. And like you said, it is the broadest, you know, of the devices covered. And it's really just a reference to something that most of your audience is going to be aware of. So it could be a world event. Um, it might be a piece of pop culture or, you know, sometimes we see these really great ad series where a series starts to just reference things that happened previously in the series, or there's maybe, you know, a well-known trope that's kind of pulled through all of them. Um, so it's just one of those things where you want to reference it, you want it to be timely. Um, but with observation, you have to be a little careful because sometimes these can have a shelf life. So, uh, so one good example of observation that I can think of that happened pretty recently are the Bud Light Dilly Dilly ads. Um, and so those were, those were pretty popular. Again, right around the Super Bowl, we were talking about that earlier. Um, but those ads started out as a Game of Thrones spoof, I believe, because they were all medieval and all of that. And then as they moved through the year and as the Eagles started getting closer to the Super Bowl, you know, their focus started to shift. And not only did those ads reference things that had happened in, in the past and Dilly Dilly was always kind of this cry that was um, carried throughout. But then as we got closer to the Super Bowl, everybody was pushing for Philly, 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 Philly. You know, what are, what are the odds that this nonsensical tagline actually has a tie in with the world event? And I think they eventually did end up making an ad. I think they only, you know, maybe ran it during the Super Bowl where they mm -hmm. said it. So it's just kind of fun to see how you start out observing one thing. It might be Game of Thrones. And then as your series evolves and you're building this world, suddenly you find that, oh, you know, we have this other opportunity to make an observation in another realm. And, and then you start doing that. And it, it's really kind of fun to see where you can work this in. Well, I think that that, that that sense of being nimble is really important because you're keying off of, like you said, shared experience. You're keying off of reference points that everybody has. Um, and, and the Super Bowl is always a good time for that because it is a, a, a galvanizing event. And so that I, that's why I, so often we always come back to add examples there. And that's worked out really well with social also because I remember a number of years ago, the lights, uh, the lights went out. They had electrical failure. And, uh, you know, for, for a good number of minutes, the entire stadium was dark. Everybody at home on TV is just listening to the, the announcers talk about things just to sort of fill the time. And the good folks over at Oreo were absolutely ready for anything like that to happen. And they got this, uh, you can still dunk in the dark ad up on social <laughs> within minutes, right? It was, it was one of the, and I, I looked at that. I remember coming in and talking to a colleague the next day at work. And I was like, this is going to change everything. Uh, the fact right. that they were able to pull that off. Right. 
But what that takes is, I mean, it takes the ability to be funny. Um, It takes knowing when to, to seize an idea. And more importantly, it takes the copywriter, art director, creative director, probably an account manager and the client all getting into alignment very, very quickly. And I think that's the part that a lot of people probably find, um, you find challenges with to, to get everybody, you know, on board with something fast enough for it to be hyper relevant. Right. Yeah. I think you make a really good point. Um, that a lot of times with trends or with things that are happening right now, it can be really hard for marketing teams to capitalize on those because, you know, we're, we're all about following a process or about, you know, brainstorming and until you get through, ideation and approvals and all those sorts of things. It's just, yeah, it can be really difficult to be agile. Have you, have you seen any good observational um, examples in B2B recently? Um, recently, I don't know how recent they are, but there was a series by Intel um, at one point that, that, really kind of capitalized on geek culture. <laughs> I think geek culture is something that started to gain traction in the last, I don't know, what would you say, 10 years or so, mm-hmm. where it's actually kind of cool to be a geek, right? Um, and so Intel did this series of like little bite-sized clips. They're only about, you know, 15, 30 seconds long. And they all roll up under this idea of at Intel, they do things differently because they have employees who think differently. And so that the way that they would do that is they drop these employees into an ordinary situation. Like one I can think of is there were two employees and one had gone out like for a bathroom break or something. The other one just changed a plus sign or a minus sign to a plus sign in an equation and then sat back down. And the other one came in and just starts laughing out of the blue. And you're like, what is this guy laughing about? And apparently whatever they did, was hilarious. But for us, we just saw, you know, oh, he just turned a minus sign into a plus sign, which I mean, I never would have noticed if it were me, but. (laughs) Well, um, I I saw the one you're talking about and the the guy who who pulled the prank just had this like barely contained glee at how mischievous he was being. (laughs) I'm like laughing just thinking about it. Yeah. Exactly. And and so it's just, yeah, it's it's kind of fun to capitalize on things like that where you're really connecting with people because there are people out there who, I don't know, people might have even gotten the joke. <laughs> and the joke was far and away above my head. Um, yeah. But particularly if you, you know, were watching it and you were their target customer, who knows, maybe you got the joke and found it even funnier than I did. <laughs> Uh, you you may remember a similar set of ads that GE did um, four or five years ago, and they were uh, in in each of them there was uh, a young person who was like a software engineer, and their family is asking them what they do, uh, and they're like, oh well, I work for GE, okay. and they're like, oh, you make light bulbs, you know, <laughs> and it was, <laughs> right. it was it was doing a couple of things. It was explaining more about. Uh, the the levels at which GE operated, you know, how there's this this huge industrial, um, you know, sort of presence there, um, but also, yeah, just making it kind of funny and 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 light. But there was a really interesting sort of flip side to that, 
they ended up being an amazing recruiting campaign because there were software engineers and people like that who came to work. They wanted to come to work at GE because they were like, you get me, you understand me, right? You know what I'm dealing <laughs> yeah. with. Right. And it's that, Absolutely. it's that, it's that engagement and it's that, it's that knowing. Um, and I really love that, uh, that, that there was like this, this unintended, very positive consequence for them as a result of this campaign, uh, that they actually saw like an, an uptick in job applications. Uh, they started to get more qualified individuals actually, actually applying. Um, nobody, nobody would have expected that in a million years. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you, how do you go about that with observation? Like what's, you know, do you have a, do you have a formula um, because this, this is, I, I do think it's the broadest. I, I think of, I think of comedians that are observational people like, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, it's very much sort of like the sort of humor that he made popular in the eighties and, and on into the nineties with his TV show. Um, it's that, you know, right. you could do 15 minutes on, on airline food or something else that, that people, you know, agree is, is kind of funny when you get down to that, that sort of shared understanding of it. Um, how do you. How do you go about that? Right. Well, I think the first thing that you have to do for, honestly, for any of these devices is really have a deep understanding of what you want your customers to know after they see this creative. Um, you know, you have to understand what exactly do we want them to walk away with. And once you have that um, set, then you can really start to think about, okay, how can we connect this to something else? And I always like to start with a list. So I, I'll kind of break things out and categorize them. Maybe it's popular words and phrases, um, entertainment that's popular right now. Um, like Schitt's Creek is an example that a lot of people are watching. It, you know, it's gotten a lot of attention. So maybe that's something that you could connect your, your marketing to, you know, in kind of a, an interesting way. And then also just events, you know, what's going on in the world that you might be able to, to tie your messaging into. So then from there, I would, you know, write down items in all of those different categories, just a really open brainstorming session of, of what those things might look like. And then from there, looking at that, that core idea of what you want your customers to walk away with and saying, okay, how could we connect this to one of these things? So for example, Something, you know, The Office is kind of a cult classic uh, entertainment item. You know, people just love The Office. And they were one of those shows that really started the mockumentary, um, like the mockumentary genre, I would say. And so maybe one thing that you could do is say, okay, maybe The Office itself isn't a great thing to tie this to, but that mockumentary style, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. That's different from what other companies are doing in our space. What if we created a mockumentary? So sometimes it's not just about looking at, you know, the things itself that are interesting right now or the things that are timely. It's about looking at the style and the format and the way that they're executed and applying that to what you are looking to do with your own marketing. I think that makes sense. So a lot of times people end up feeling like, oh well I don't I don't want to copy. Um, I want this to be very original and applying a genre is a good way to do that uh, while still taking your cues from something that's popular. Um, looking at something and saying, oh, that's really funny. Okay. Why is it funny? 
it's because they're doing this. I can use a similar kind of juxtaposition without ripping off specific jokes or without ripping off, you know, a specific construct. Um, exactly. And I, yeah. Understanding where that line is, I think is, is very important because uh, you know, you, you want to stay original you want to stay um, relevant and, and enjoyable, but still original and still, you know, with, with your own intellectual property. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. For anybody who has not employed a lot of humor in the past, but is either looking to create that, you know, within their brand or to work with an agency to create something like that. Uh, what would your recommendations be around the level of risk taking that that might involve or, or doing it, doing it well, because it, it feels like something that if you do it, but don't do it well, it could probably detonate on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I think there are a couple of different ways you can approach it. You know, one way is to start small and start, you know, slowly evolving what you're doing to work some of these ideas in um, and just see how your audience responds. You know, do they do they share that post? Do you get more reactions? Do you get more leads? You know, and just kind of test it, see what they're interested in. I think another thing to keep in mind if you're just trying this out for the first time is that you really need to make sure that it rolls up under that core idea um, that I mentioned. So knowing what your value proposition is, knowing what you want your customers to walk away with. You know, I think so many times we see humor fall flat because it's just humor for humor's sake. It's just kind of thrown out there. It's And you can tell a brand's trying to be funny. You can never try to be funny. You, you really have to be authentic if you're going to be funny. Um, and one way to do that is to be funny in a way that that matches your brand. And so if you are known as an intelligent software company, your humor also needs to be intelligent, right? If you are somebody, you know, if, if you're a mattress company, I think of like the purple um, commercials with the three bears and Goldie, Goldilocks, you know, they, they could be a little more out there because they're a mattress company. So you really have to think about what you want your audience to get from it and make sure that your humor delivers that. And, and you can never sacrifice on the value that you're providing to your audience. That makes a lot of sense. And that may be the single best piece of advice uh, to make sure that that humor is truly on brand. It's got to fit your personality uh, and it's it's got to ring true because I do think that authenticity is really the core of good humor. Yes. I 100% agree. (laughs) That's excellent. Very cool. Janelle, thank you so much. When I saw that you were, that you were writing this, I was really excited and wanted to, wanted to get you on the podcast immediately because I think it is, I think it's something we struggle with in B2B. um, And I want to see people get better at it because there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good humorous potential in everything that we do. Um, there's a lot of good sort of magical potential as well, but um, I really appreciate you digging deep on how to be funny and B2B and what the, what the, the right way to do that is and what the benefit of it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs> thanks very much. Pleasure was all mine. 
So if you would like to read Janelle's blog post and learn a little bit more about humor in B2B marketing, and especially if you would like to see some of the examples that we talked about in this episode, come visit us at godfrey.com slash insights. Marketing to Complex Industries is presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. Godfrey is built for technical products, discerning buyers, and intricate buying cycles. For more information, visit godfrey.com.